0: you're an alien or something like that, Just, just uh, uh, and you beamed yourself to earth for a reconnaissance mission, okay. all right, you beamed yourself to earth for a reconnaissance mission, it's your first trip to earth, you've never seen it before, you have no idea what to expect, and you come and you take everything in uh, around you, the culture uh, the way that people dress, uh, the way that people act, and the way that they interact, and the way that they react. Uh, you take in what makes them happy or sad, what uh, how they live and what they celebrate. You take in the words, the music they listen to. You take in and observe what the culture values. What the culture values. So if you, the alien dropped in with no prior context and learned everything that you could about human life based on what you learn and what you experience in all of your human interaction, how would you assume that this sentence ends? Blessed are the blank. Blessed are the blank. Now, you're an alien, but you're pretty sure you know what blessed means. Right? It means divinely favored, or happy, or fortunate, or you're in a good spot, you're on the right track. You, you get a sense of, of what it means. Blessed are the blank. Based on the human life you observe, wouldn't you think that it's blessed are the wealthy or the strong the powerful, the happy, the well-liked, the beautiful, the intelligent, the successful. These are the qualities that we naturally aspire to. This, uh, these are the things that describe the heroes that we tell in our stories. These, are, these describe the ones that grace the covers of our magazines and I would say, with just the caveat that we need to be careful how we use some of them, like wealth and power, there's really nothing inherently wrong with any of these qualities. I mean, I want to be happy and well-liked. Don't you? I'd like to be wealthy and intelligent. Beauty? I think that ship has sailed. But, uh, but for the most part... But, you know, then we have this... The ultimate alien, Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Heaven, who came from outside of this world, born into this world, fully God, fully man. And he gives perhaps the greatest ethical treatise ever in the Sermon on the Mount, in which he lifts up and encourages the very opposite of the world's values. And that is brilliantly clear right off the bat, right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, which is our gospel passage from Matthew chapter 5. Today is All Saints Sunday. And this is the day in the church year that we make a point of proclaiming that we are, in fact, All Saints Now, if you look at your life and you think, yep, I am a saint, (laughs) you're probably further away than you realize. But we don't, because we don't look at our lives to see if we are saints. We look at the cross and the empty tomb. Because it's there that Jesus paid our sin debt with his own life. And it's there that Jesus brought us into his family and made us God's children and won for us eternal life in his resurrection. We are saints, holy ones, by God's gracious declaration. Not because of any, of any good that we have done or any evil that we've managed to stay away from. Theologians have described our saintliness as an alien righteousness, which is to say uh, our righteousness is from outside of us, granted to us by his grace. The Lord graciously welcomes us right where we are, and yet it's also his grace that he does not leave us where he found us. Right? He intends that we grow in our relationship with Him. And as we rely more and more on Him, that we grow in ourselves too, that we mature. And the Beatitudes, which is the series of blessings in our gospel passage, the Beatitudes uh, provide us with something of a roadmap for spiritual maturity. We should not look at the Beatitudes as uh, blessed are our several unrelated groups of people. They are, I believe, properly understood as a progression of Christian character for each of us. You know, so many things in the Christian life seem upside down from the regular uh, natural world. For example, life comes after death. We are to love our enemies Uh, The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And the Beatitudes kind of fall in the same pattern because the ones who are blessed are in large part the very opposite of the ones we would think, especially if we took our expectations from watching the values of the world around us. Because, I mean, like when you're feeling down uh, on yourself, if you're low in confidence, if you're poor in spirit, then you probably don't feel particularly blessed. When you're mourning a loss, more likely that you're asking why than praising the Lord. I think there is probably a piety that we understand with some of them like hungering and thirsting for righteousness or being merciful or making peace. So we might expect blessing for those people, but they still don't seem like much fun, do they? And they don't seem like the kind of things that get people ahead in life. And yet it is these very qualities that Jesus says give us the kingdom of heaven that lead us to inherit eternal life, to be filled, to see God himself. The Beatitudes are qualities to which Jesus calls all of his followers and they are the opposite of the exhortations of the world the beatitudes are the beginning of the sermon on the mount and when i start a sermon i like to you try to use something that's going to get your attention sort of like the alien thing at the beginning this maybe not my best one i've ever done but you know i like to tell a story or, I like to give an example that it was going to draw your attention in that t- towards what needs to be said. And Jesus doesn't seem to take this tack, but he, uh, he doesn't tell a story. But I think there must have been a lot of people there who had been following him ar- around because they were struggling. Life had been hard to them. And they saw something in Jesus that gave them hope. And so he starts this most famous of his sermons by saying that those who were poor in spirit were not abandoned by God, which is kind of probably what they felt like, what they expected. But in fact, they were blessed by God. They were the very ones who would inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I think their ears would have perked up And those who were mourning a loss weren't victims of God's apathy. In fact, they were blessed. God was with them and they would be comforted to know him more intimately in the space that that loss created. So now they're like leaning in. They heard that it wasn't the powerful the bold, the successful, that knew God's favor to ultimately receive all things. It was actually the meek, the humble, the gentle of heart who would not conquer but inherit the earth from their father. And now they're hooked. For those who came, with a heart full of worry, who came with life questions that they couldn't answer, who felt overwhelmed or overpowered, who doubted that God ever gave them so much as a thought, much less His favor. I think this would have been the last thing that they expected to hear and the very thing that they would have needed to hear. God is with you, even and perhaps especially in your weakest spots. St. Paul would write to the Corinthians decades later that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. They knew their struggles, and they needed to hear it from Jesus. And you might need to hear it too, because I don't know what you're struggling with or what you're afraid of, or what your doubts are, or what guilt is eating you up, or what you're desperately asking God to fix, but I know this, I know that blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who are at the end of their rope, because that's where God's office is. And he meets us right where we are. And so whatever it is, you keep bringing it to God And he may or may not give you exactly the fix that you're asking him for, but you will get the kingdom of heaven. Remember I said that beatitudes are kind of like a roadmap for spiritual maturity, and spiritual maturity starts not with hiding our weaknesses, but with naming them and allowing God to meet us there. And just like I don't know what you're struggling with, I also don't know what you may be mourning Maybe you're mourning the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're uh, mourning the loss of your independence. Maybe you're mourning the fact that your children or grandchildren are growing up too fast. You're mourning the difficulty of your job or a relationship that you have. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. God meets us right where we are, and he's with you to comfort you with the hope of heaven, to comfort you with the assurance of the reality of his presence, uh, to comfort you with the assurance that he's going to work it out in his own way and in his own time, to comfort you with the promise of his grace. Spiritual maturity begins not with running from grief, but with allowing God into it. And when the God of the universe meets us and loves us and gives us his grace, right, in the places of our struggle and our grief, if we're paying attention, it humbles us. And blessed are the meek. Because now he's working in us, right? We begin to defer praise to him rather than sort of seeking it for ourselves, we begin to want to help others and lift them up and we're not our own goal so much anymore. Meekness is not weakness. God prizes true humility in his children but i got to tell you, I've never met anyone who achieved humility through a rousing success. Humility is the fruit of God's help through struggle and mourning. Humility is the fruit of God's help through struggle and mourning. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In other words, the great reward comes to those who are not seeking it for themselves. So when God meets us where we are, and we watch him work, and it creates this holy meekness in us, we begin to long For a life that honors him blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and thank god it does not say blessed are those who are always righteous but it is our hunger it's our thirst it's our longing we want to honor jesus with our lives even if we don't always get it right and we want to be like jesus in our lives And that itself, just that desire has got to be evidence that God didn't leave us where he found us. Because when he found us, we weren't hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We were just trying to get through the day. It rarely surprises me when a Christian does some wrong. But it always surprises me when a Christian is not sorry for the wrong that they've done. It breaks my heart, actually, because we're not perfect, but we do have this conviction that our lives, our morals, uh, the way that we treat others, it all reflects either well or poorly on the name of the God that we profess. And so when we're not sorry or we're too stubborn to apologize, we have forgotten how the holiness of our lives matters to our holy God. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I mean, it's his righteousness working in us anyway, right? We'll be filled. So I'm going to take time for just one more, rather than going through all of them. But I wonder if you, if you see how they're a progression. right? There, it has to be God's work in us. So, God Almighty meets us in our poverty of spirit, in our places of grief. His grace comforts us and it humbles us. We begin to earnestly want to live that life that honors Him, and we begin to take on His character. Like, you know, when you hang around a friend a lot and you pick up their mannerisms or their uh, catchphrases, we begin, when we hang around with God a lot, we begin to take on His character. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Remember the prayer of humble access? We always say it in Rite 1. Um, we say it. We said it a little bit last year in Rite 2, uh, in, I think in Lent. We, it says, We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. His property is always to have mercy. Grace is... Grace is when God gives us something good that we don't deserve. But mercy is kind of the the other side of the coin. Mercy is when God doesn't give us something bad that we do deserve. Mercy offers kindness when there ought to be adversity. Mercy offers love where there is naturally animosity. Uh, Mercy chooses to be reconciled rather than to be right. Mercy is the character of God. Mercy is the appeal of Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. And mercy should increasingly describe the character of those who are letting God's Spirit work in them. Mercy is a primary way that we can love our neighbor as ourself. And on it goes. Through the Beatitudes, the roadmap for spiritual maturity. And it is not an easy road. It is a road that is filled, I think, sometimes I think intentionally by God, with hurdles and brambles and dark tunnels. It's a road that does not depend on our overcoming, but on God's grace to deliver us. And he will deliver us. That's his promise over us. In fact, that's the promise he made over five babies this morning at 10.30 that we baptized. He meets us where we are. He does not leave us there. He will deliver us, and he will mold us in his image along the way. Because Christians are different than the world around us. The Beatitudes are alien. To what the world values. They are the opposite. Of what is natural for us. But they are. The beating heart. Of the one who is saved by God's grace. And molded by God's spirit. Amen.